We are going to start now into the next section of our uh, time together, um, Ministry in the Midst of COVID-19. So it's going to be part one, part two. As you can tell, we are way off time, um, and so it will be abbreviated quite a bit. But a lot of this was meant to be discussion time, and so uh, we will do that. We'll do that as table groups. It's, it's going to be very interactive, um, and so I want to encourage you to... Uh, to be as focused as you can uh, in the midst of, of all of this. Um, you know, there has, I know all of you, in some way, shape, or another, were impacted by COVID-19, okay, by the pandemic, the, the virus. Uh, and, um, and so I know many of you, if not all of you, have stories you could share. Some of you are not chaplains, but were also impacted by COVID-19, by the, by the virus. And so, uh, or you know of people who were impacted um, by this pandemic over these past years, this past year, uh, year and a half. And so, um, so we're gonna spend a lot of time with that. Um, a lot of what we're gonna watch, what we're gonna look at, I'm gonna have several videos, is um, people talking about their experiences. And they're not EPC chaplains, they are, or, um, or, or ministers, they are just, regular old folk that were dealing with challenges to their ministry uh, during this time. And so, and I'm gonna want us then to kind of do as table groups to discuss what their experiences were and how it relates maybe to some of the things that you experienced um, in, in your time over this past year and a half. So we're gonna do a lot of that. Um, some of it is gonna be sharing stories, uh, which I'm about to do. Um, and so, uh, so really, you know, you hear about chaplains on the front line. In my opinion, every chaplain, um, if, they're, if, they're, if they are really truly doing their ministry of presence, is a chaplain on the front line. Because you are right there. You are right there with the people. You are engaged with the people, no matter what rank you are in the military, no matter what position you are in that hierarchy of civilian chaplaincy, you are on the front line. The other thing to always remember is not all chaplains, well, all chaplains are never appreciated by everyone. Amen to that? Okay. Um, in fact, sometimes you feel like you're not wanted at all. Sometimes you feel like you are only there because you are filling a requirement of that institution or organization. That's hard. But you are there for the people you are truly serving. Okay? If you're a hospice chaplain, who are you primarily serving? Chaplains and staff. Uh, excuse me, families and staff, right? And in what type of situation? End of life. End of life situations, okay? If you are a hospital chaplain, who are you serving? Pretty much, yeah. Patients and staff. And in all sorts of situations as a hospital chaplain, okay? As a military chaplain, who are you serving? Pardon me? Military and families. Military and their families. 
Okay. Yeah, and then a lot of bases nowadays, what do you have? You have a boatload of civilians that work on the base. You know? So, and are you called to kind of support them as well? Yes, you are. If they're on your base, they're part of your arena of responsibility. Okay. So, so those are the folks that that are are what matters. And as Ted Trumbull, many of you know Ted Trumbull, as Ted Trumbull shared with me, don't get caught up with the fourth floor. The fourth floor are those that just think you're there because you have to be there. Okay. You know, and they just don't see your value. The people you're ministering to and taking care of and loving on and supporting, they see your value. Who else sees your value? God, because you are serving Him. What's that? H floor. H, yeah, H floor. Heaven floor. <laughs> Heaven floor. Okay. You know, so I want you to always remember that. You know, I had one chaplain, I may have shared about this before, I had one chaplain. Um, she was told by she wanted to do more for staff and wanted to provide a, a little Bible study maybe or at least to pray for that. I think all she said was, can, can I pray for you? And she said, no. You, and her supervisor said, no, you don't need to do that. And she said, well, no, I would love to. I mean, that's why I'm here. And, 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 then, and then she told my chaplain, you know, you're only here because we have to have you here. Can you imagine how that made her feel? And so when we got together, she, we both cried over that. It, it's hard at times to be a chaplain. But who are we serving? Yeah, we're serving our God. So I just want you to encourage you in all those times when you feel like maybe I'm not all that appreciated, First of all, I know who does appreciate you. I know who does appreciate you. And I know who does appreciate you are the lives you're touching. So just always remember that, okay? You know, prisons as well, you know? Yeah, and that's a captive audience, you might say. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, all right, so, um, so let's, uh, let's kind of jump in on this. Um, so the, the first slide I want to show you is um, uh, two chaplains, uh, Martin Abrams and Jan Frazier. Um, and I, I want to share their story, and then I want you to kind of discuss a little bit about them together for just a few minutes. Um, uh, and, and related to your own experiences, like I said, and maybe some of the things that you note as positives in their work and ministry, uh, maybe any concerns you might have in, uh, in their, how they approach their ministry during COVID. Okay, so, so Reverend Martin Abrams and Reverend Jan Fraser describe their, their hospital staff chaplains and patients. So they're chaplains to patients and hospital staff. Um, they're at Southport Orangeburg Hospital, they're actually NHS, so the National um, Health System in England. So let me share. Our aim as chaplains is to offer pastoral, spiritual, and religious support to patients and staff appropriate to their circumstances and understanding. We do this through individual patient visits, ward visits, and by being a presence at the heart of the organization. We are proud that one of the first doors you come to from the main entrance to our hospitals 
is the chaplaincy and spiritual care office. Is that always the case in hospitals? No. Where is it often located? In the dungeon. Okay. So, so this was really cool to hear this. It's like, wow. COVID-19 has, of course, been a massive challenge to everyone. It has been a challenge to society as offices, shops, and the leisure industry have closed. A great deal of industry ground to a halt. Many individuals were shielding, and just about everyone was prevented from seeing their loved ones. Weddings were postponed, funerals went ahead, but with previously unimaginable restrictions, and we had to hand over controls of our lives to others. The church has had to find new ways of working, and like many other congregations, may never, and some would argue should ever, should never be the same again. For the NHS and hospital chaplaincy, the changes were fast and unprecedented. The many routine workings of the hospital were sacrificed for a total focus on supporting the seriously ill and COVID-19 patients. Practically for us, by mid-March, volunteers had been asked to stay away and relatives, others than in extreme circumstances, were stopped from coming to the hospital. As we write, many of these restrictions remain in place. There were no volunteers, and some of the chaplaincy team needed to shield. So we rearranged our work accordingly, and with the support of one honorary chaplain and one part-time on-call chaplain, have been supporting the staff and patient community throughout the hospital. We have been privileged to be able to offer a thought for the week for staff, which has been well received, and have been working at every level of the hospital to offer support. We had the unthinkable task of supporting the family of our colleague, a nurse, Josephine Peter, who died of the virus, and on their behalf, planning and taking care of her funeral. The clap passed, arranged on the day of her funeral, if you know what that means, as they brought her through, they were all, okay, clapping. As her cortege passed outside, it was incredibly moving. We have been trained in using masks and full PPE and have at times looked more like space travelers than chaplains. This has enabled us to offer ministry in all areas of the hospital, however, including our intensive care unit. On many occasions, we have held the hands of dying patients when their family could not even be there sometimes holding phones to help conversations happen. There was a need for our support, which we have never experienced before. It was physically and emotionally draining. Besides supporting the hospital community, we were asked to do many funerals on the basis that we were with patients when their families could not be. In more routine, in more routine situations, we were visiting COVID and non-COVID patients and had the privilege of being their only visitors and in this unique circumstance, bringing conversation, news, support, and love. Other staff and teams have, of course, done many incredible things, among them offering the facility for patients to, be, to communicate with families by means of video calls and delivering letters sent by email. In many cases, our staff needed to read out these messages for those who are unable to do it for themselves. As the unpredictable virus did its worst, we saw the horrendous and the miraculous, and from the whole hospital team, incredible acts of self-sacrifice. In terms of theology and spiritual reflection, it is perhaps a bit early yet. Processing life-changing experiences must shape our faith and outlook on life and cannot be rushed. That said, over the past months, we have had the privilege of offering a servant ministry 
which is what chaplains do all the time. It has been said many times during the COVID pandemic that the church has not closed. It has simply left the building. I like that. Hospital chaplaincy and spiritual care services have been taking church beyond the church building for years. Every day, reach out in faith and hope, offering genuine integrity-filled spiritual support in the wonder and terror of life's experience that has not changed over the past months, and nor can we see it changing. Within the hospital community, we have got used to keeping one another safe by wearing masks. Looking forward, we hope that people will recognize the importance of protecting each other by wearing the mask. Seems a small thing to ask to protect us from seeing again some of the horrors of the past months. So that's their story. What I'd like you to do is to spend some time kind of talking about what they did, what their experiences were, relating it to maybe some of your own, and, um, and just share in the next three, four minutes about that. And then we'll reconvene back together. So let's do that. Sorry to disrupt your conversation time, uh, but you're going to have more opportunities. So uh, I want to share another story. And then what I'd like to do is um, have you again just do some table discussion. And then we'll maybe do some sharing together as, as table groups. Okay, so um, this next story is uh, about a, a Navy chaplain. I tried to find an Air Force guy, but I didn't have any luck. So anyway, um, no, this is a, is a really, uh, it's a neat story about um, uh, Nam uh, Melendez. And he is a uh, Navy chaplain serving at Walter Reed uh, at the National Military Medical Center there. And I'd like to just share his story uh, a little bit with you. Um, this is from him. And he's kind of emphasizing spiritual health in this. In a time when many are dealing with anxiety and fear over a new disease with no cure necessarily available, comfort can come in the form of spiritual wellness. Spiritual caregivers like Navy Lieutenant Nahum Melendez, who's in the picture there, um, and a chaplain, as I said, at Walter Reed, uh, helps patients and their families nurture their spiritual wellness. So in a time when many are dealing with anxiety and fear over a new disease with no cure available, comfort can come in the form of that spiritual wellness. It's a domain of total force fitness, people have heard that term before, especially in the military, that focuses on beliefs and practices. The goal is to build connectedness through hope, meaning, and purpose. Spiritual caregivers, like the chaplains of the military, help people nurture that connectedness However, during the COVID-19 pandemic, when physical proximity was limited, is limited, chaplains are getting creative with how they offer that spiritual support. Do I hear I mean to that? For those that are particularly in the military? Yep. There's so much from our spiritual traditions that assume that in-person connection, right? There is. Uh, and that's what he said, said Pastor Commander, or excuse me, not what he said, another Pastor Commander uh, David Jelt. Uh, Jeltema, a Navy chaplain at the Walter Reed uh, Medical Center in Bethesda. To suddenly be in an environment where the way we operate has changed so radically and realize that the way to care for patients is actually to maintain a distance is a real shift in how we deliver care. 
new rules at WNMMC, instead of having to say the whole thing, and other hospitals in the military health system severely limit who can come in contact with patients, whether the patient has COVID-19 or not. Chaplains and family members of patients communicate from doorways and through phone calls uh, instead of offering comfort from inside a hospital room. According to Jeltima, Jeltima, patients, family members, and even hospital staff are feeling the effects of the lack of in-closeness. This is a very isolating disease that we are dealing with, Jeltima said. When people are not able to experience things like acts of hospitality, I think they find that there's a void in their lives. WRNMCC's chaplains have found a new way to fill that void and offer spiritual support without direct proximity. Chaplains are taking a more proactive approach to contacting family members of patients and meeting their spiritual needs. The hospital's chaplains also have an official Walter Reed Pastoral Care Facebook page as an initiative that has opened connection between community members, staff, and outpatients. The page extends the voluntary broadcasting of daily and weekly services to hospital inpatients. Virtual communications for both patients and family members has helped the chaplains reach more people for spiritual care and to stay efficient. And then this is a quote from Nam: As spiritual caregivers, we are tasked to find creative ways to nurture. We are hopeful that in the absence of physical touch, there can be a different kind of transcendental touching of the spirit instead with the person that cannot have that or cannot receive that. So what I'd like you to do, again, is to share a little bit about what he had to share in regards to that. Some of the experiences you had and, and reflect on what he, what he experienced as well as both chaplains were talking about the ministry there at Walter Reed. Um, was it difficult? Yeah, it was. Because it was totally, totally different from what we do as chaplains. True? You know, I mean, it would be, it would be I mean, I, someone, I just visualize all the pictures I saw of even families at life care centers not being able to go in to their loved one, having to talk through windows or plastic or glass partitions, not being able to touch. I mean, I tell you, there was some of those places did those glove thing, you know, you could reach in like you were doing a science experiment and creating some, you know, like they do at Wuhan. Anyway, uh, some science experiments uh, that they're doing. And, and that's the only way they could touch is with those, you know, kind of gloved. You know what I'm talking about. No tactile touch, you know? I mean, can you imagine for those, you know, for those of you who are married, you know, kissing your loved one but not being able to touch your lips? That'd be a drag, okay? I mean, can you, I mean, there's no touch. There's no holding hands, you know? I mean, that means a lot better than this, <laughs> you know? It's so important, and, and for a year and a half, for the most part, chaplains have not been able to do that, have not been able to offer that hug, have not been able to, to be close. 
I mean, you couldn't even give somebody a high five. An air five. You know, if you could even get that close, because you had to stay six feet apart or more, if you were even allowed in the building at all. So it was tough. So I'd like you to kind of talk about what some of the things that they did to try to help, some of the things that maybe you did in the midst of you reaching out to your folks in the midst of your type of ministry. If you didn't get a chance to share in the time before, take that chance now and, uh, and let you speak to share about your experiences as well. So let's just take four or five minutes to do that, okay? Okay, once again. I am so excited to see all the great discussion that's going on, and uh, I hate to interrupt that, um, but we have, uh, we have more to, to review and look at. So I hope you guys uh, shared some great things together. Is there anyone who'd like to share some things from the um, groups you know, that really shined out? And it could be yourself, something you shared. Yeah, BJ? One of the things that happened in our community was we, we saw some like extreme reactions on both sides initially. Hang on a second. I'm actually going to use this for this part because these are going to be a little bit longer sharing and then that way those people that aren't able to be here today can hear. So there you go. Okay. Can you guys hear me? So initially in our community we saw two sort of extreme reactions where we had a handful of families that locked themselves away tightly. One family even broke up where they each kind of hid their own room and wouldn't interact with other members of their family except for by like phone and stuff. And then we had several families on the other end who sort of just embraced the weirdness and I actually saw one picture where they, they took over a cul-de-sac and they all sat socially distanced <laughs> with their kids all, you know, socially distanced playing all sorts of, and so it was like, we gotta get creative, but we're gonna be actively trying to interact with people and not lose human, human contact. And a year later, the outcomes could not have been more different. The families that just got creative and innovated, and they adjusted nicely to back to normal life, so to speak. And the, the frustration and the depression and the anxiety that we're still dealing with with some of these other families who are in some cases still very tentative about getting out of the house. I mean, you know, hearing the story of the lieutenant talking about the importance of like physically touching people or interacting mm. with people. I don't know. I just saw such a stark contrast, and you you don't realize how much you need it until you can't do it. Or it was just interesting for me to see that. Yeah. Who else would like to share? Yeah. Miss Helen, there you go. What you were just saying, BJ, reminds me, you know, from just a purely personal point of view, um, I love grandparenting. It's awesome. So during this year of the pandemic, we have, um, he's now almost three, but, and they're local to us. So for the year, I mean, he grew up, and, you know, in a one year old, a two year old changes a lot in a year. We didn't even know it. Wow. And when we first started being able to see them regularly and babysit regularly, we didn't even know this kid. And the changes from that year was shocking. So. 
speaking of that, can you imagine these children that were born during this time? Or these children that were young and growing up and all they knew were masks? You know, the impact that may have on them for years and years to come, you know? It's, it's so strange when you think about it. You know, what a different life we have had over this past year and a half. I mean, you know, do you remember, who's ever, did, who's ever seen the pictures of 1918? You know, the people walking around with masks during the Spanish flu, the pandemic then? You know, and didn't you say, that is crazy. Oh, I'm so glad that doesn't happen nowadays, you know? Yeah. Ron? Mark, you know what I do because you've been with me. I have, okay? yes. Yeah. To, you've been with me, go to make death notification. And the sheriff absolutely refused uh, to take off the face-to-face the -face notifications. He said, we're not going to notify these people over the phone. That's not going to happen. Yeah. So I told them, I said, I, I'm scared the first few times. <laughs> Am I going to get this done? You know? Yeah. But this is what God called me to do. Is that's where I'm going home. That's where I'm going home. So mm -hmm. I'd go to the houses and make the death notifications and work with the people to get them through the crisis and, and help them with the financial end of their funerals and stuff and do the things that we normally do. Uh, we, uh, but I have to admit that there were times when I would think about, you know, Especially if you go into a house that you realized was, you know, the people were extremely poor. Mm -hmm. You wanted to help them. You're notifying them their sons committed suicide. Uh, they don't know it. You got to tell them. And you had to go in there. There wasn't any way not to touch these people. Mm -hmm. right. There's no way I could like, not put my arm around them or hold their hand or anything else. So I did. Yeah. And I stayed there with them and we took care of the business. Uh, and we, you know, as far as I'm still fine. Yeah. I'm 77 years old and I'm still not fine. Yeah. You look a little strange, but other than that, yeah. yeah. But Mark went with me one time. He knows. Yes. Oh, yeah. And it was, well, first of all, this man. This man is incredibly gifted. He has such a heart of God. And being with him um, for this one particular notification where their child was uh, killed in an automotive accident. Remember that? And, you know, <laughs> I just remember that. And what a... What a incredible feeling of peace he brought in the midst of such sadness. Remember the other, the and other then the other son had, is still missing. Still missing and still missing, never found. So they had already dealt with, had been dealing with that, and then losing 
their other son. I mean, oh my goodness. So it was, it was an honor to be with him, and it was a thankfulness on my part to be with him. Oh, school's out. Okay. <laughs> Honored to be with him. And, um, and I just thank him for the incredible ministry that he, he, he shared. And I got to witness and to be a part of. Yeah. Tim, I don't want to put you on the spot, but you shared a story at Church Sunday. And, I, and again, I'm so thankful that I could be with you and just to share a little bit at your church. And what a great church. Would you mind sharing a, a little bit of, of that story? Because this is another example of being there, even in the midst of the most horrid feelings of loss and sadness. Um, if you wouldn't mind just sharing a little bit of that. Well, it has a little bit to do with what I think are draconian COVID restrictions. Uh, I'm also a volunteer sheriff's department uh, chaplain, so. Thursday night I was asked to go because someone found a young man dead, drug overdose. Well, this is, there's a lot you know because of the kind of drugs that are coming in now over the border. Um, but anyway, when I got there, most of us had moved past masking and all that stuff. Here's this young lady who found a boyfriend dead in the kitchen. So I just sat down beside her on the grass looked at her and she was just screaming, why, why, oh yeah, oh yeah. So finally I was just trying to shift the conversation a little and I said, you know, tell me a little bit about your boyfriend, what was he like, and so she did, and then she went back to the why, why, and, and uh, I said, well tell me a little bit about yourself, and she said, well I started out in the Navy, and I said, well ma'am, I'm a Reserve Navy Chapel. She looked up. And her eyes went right to my soul. From then on, you know, we had we were able to sort of talk and connect. But that's how God works. It's providential. You know, why? Why was I called? Why was I the one that called? So, and how you know how she ministered to me, making me think about just the preciousness of life and her name's Lucy. Pray for her. It's a tough time. Thank you, Tim. Anyone else would like to share? Oh. Here you go. Here you go, John. From our previous hour, one one said that the uh, telework and, and zooming their services gave them a greater outreach into the community than they had before from their base. Mm. Uh, it came up that uh, COVID-19 distancing uh, restrictions was probably harder on extroverts than introverts, and introverts kind of liked it a little bit. <laughs> and so uh, we had to be yep. more sympathetic toward the extroverts. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, some people were very fearful and still are fearful. And, uh, but the last one is a greater appreciation of when the bands were lifted and you had services back 
and hymn books and a little closer connection. Uh, people appreciated that with a new awareness. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Thanks, John. Who thinks I'm an introvert? Who thinks I'm an extrovert? So, had, it has been hard this past year and a half as chaplain and endorser because one of the things I do, and, and I've done this with many of you, is visit you. And I haven't, haven't been able to. For a year and a half, I could not visit you. And it was hard to do just a phone call or a text or a, a uh, you know, sometimes a Zoom call or whatever, but it just, yeah. It, it wasn't the same. You even so. got a chaplain visit. Pardon me? You even got a chaplain visit. I did. I did. I did. That's right. Yes. Marty, Marty and her husband came through Colorado. And you're always, always welcome. Um, to kind of came through Colorado Springs and spent the night with me, which was great. So, um, Don't go to your cat. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But it's a beautiful cat. It's a wonderful cat. It's a special cat. But it's also a hairy cat. So... So I'm the newbie, uh, but I'm not shy. Jennifer. <laughs> so, uh, I serve as an assignment officer for the chaplains uh, in the United States Army. And uh, one of the biggest things that I dealt with, and I had to share this with my group, but I'll share it with you all, um, was the anxiety that chaplains had, chaplains, the anxiety that they had as they were getting ready to PCS last year. PCS, uh, for those of you who don't know, permanent change of station, we do that pretty regularly in the United States Army. And so um, my main ministry was calling families, not just talking to the chaplain, but talking to their spouses and just, we're going to get through this together. And mm -hmm. I, I probably changed orders or requests for orders five, six times for each and every officer that I had moving last summer. And that I was doing both captains and lieutenant colonels last year and training our new captain assignment officer. So I probably touched um, about 400 orders at least five times. Um, so the op tempo for us went up where everybody else went home in the, in the Army Chapel Corps. I went to work and I didn't get done until 11 o'clock at night. Um, and I was talking to people all over the world trying to alleviate their fears. Um, and, and just talking chaplain spouses off the ledge. You're, you're gonna, we're going to get through this. We're going to get through this. It's going to be okay. Um, and and it, that I will just say it was it was a very significant challenge, but it was a lot. I mean, I'm glad that I was called into it and had the opportunity to spend time with families as they were going through that challenge. Um, and I'm glad you were in that seat because you were able to help. In, because of your personality and who you are and just, you know, um, this is a, a premier person in my book. So, um, uh, and uh, I know not to embarrass you, but she... Well, I don't, I don't she, know many Navy detailers that I had to deal with that would ever have been as kind and gentle as you are. It yeah. would have been, suck it up, you're going, that's it. Like I had probably you said, know. I was praying all day long with everybody. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because you can imagine she's dealing with assignments worldwide. So she's dealing with restrictions that are varied worldwide, and even states that had different restrictions, and all of that that had to, you know, military bases had to, and posts had to adhere to local government requirements. You know, so it was, yeah, I would, 
bless you. So, and uh, yeah, that's, and then Russ, Russ was in the midst of a lot of that as well, you know. On the Air Force side. And uh, Russ just pinned on Colonel. I don't know if I had said that, as 06, so yay. So, and he's on his way, speaking of PCSs, on his way to uh, Fort Langley, Fort, Fort Eustis Langley. Which one is the first? Langley. Langley, okay, as it should be. Okay, Langley Houston. Uh, and uh, so he's going to be there as the command chaplain. Deputy Oh, Deputy Command Chaplain. Should be the command chaplain, they just don't know what to you know. Anyway, but he's on his way to that, I have a feeling, or beyond. So anyway, um, thank you for sharing. Um, what I would like to do is uh, those that are going to be in this little drama, um, and if you're introverted, too bad, um, uh, come on up here. And you'll be facing this auspicious gathering. This is not very long. Um, what it is, is um, it, uh, it's, it's basically a six-part dramatic reading. Actors Ari Shapiro, who is Brad, um, and uh, Tom, uh, I can never pronounce his name, Jelton, is me. Uh, Patrick Young, who's doing Patrick? Okay, and Jason, who's doing Jason Weiner? Okay, and Paula? And uh, Jennifer is Jennifer. Yes, so that's easy. So, and we're just going to so watch your part, and we're just going to go through this. So, so basically, this was on the pandemic front lines. This was the title of this. Um, actually, it was an interview that was done on NPR, and um, uh, by me, sort of, and um, as Tom Jelton. And so it was. This was back on February twenty second, uh, twenty twenty one. So just listen to this as we go through it. It's not very long, and uh, and I and then we will uh, we'll talk a little bit about it. Okay. So um, uh, so I'm going to start with uh, with Ari. So I'm not going to be able to channel Ari. So. Action. The U.S. has now reached another devastating milestone: 500,000 deaths from COVID-19. With a death toll that higher, we are checking in with some of the people who have borne heavy burdens during the pandemic. Among them are the faith leaders who speak to the sick and console those who are grieving. NPR's Tom Jelton has been speaking to some of them. This pandemic has affected the whole country, but some places have been hit especially hard by COVID, like the Elmhurst area of Queens in New York. Oh, that's okay. <laughs> Three I lost, like back to back, and then five others spaced throughout the year. Pastor Patrick Young of First Baptist Church in Elmhurst has stayed in close touch with his congregants. I had eight contracted. No, 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 that's Young. I'm. Oh, are you Young? Oh, you're Young. Sorry, excuse me. Okay. <laughs> he looks Young. He looks Young. Yeah. <laughs> I had eight contract COVID, and they survived. Thank God they survived. But eight went on, eight passed. That's out of a congregation of a little more than 300. Faith leaders, like Young, don't provide medical care, but they've been very much on the front line during this pandemic. And like healthcare workers, they've been stressed by the death and suffering they have seen. There is secondary trauma, post-traumatic stress, however you want to call it. 
Rabbi Jason Weiner is Chief of Spiritual Care at Cedars Sinai Hospital in Los Angeles. There's grief and it gets worse and worse and you feel it and it's painful. Sometimes you could just be sitting at home and you hear a siren or something that could trigger. And it's definitely severe. It's just very difficult to watch people suffer like this. Sister Paula Therese Pylon is a chaplain at the Cleveland Clinic in Ohio. She provides hospice care, but her ministry is not so much with those who are dying from COVID as with their family members, and it's been hard. There's the cumulative grief that I suffer as a pastoral care person from hearing story after story. Some of my family members who I've talked with have lost both of their parents because of COVID. Now there's the question of, did I give them COVID? Why can't I see them when they're dying? Just as medical workers have struggled to treat a virus that had never been seen before, these faith leaders have had to figure out how to provide pastoral care in this new situation where close personal contact is dangerous. At First Baptist in Elmhurst, Pastor Young hasn't been able to see people in church or in their homes, but he's now hosting a weekly conference call for all his members. I have a segment, Faith Through the Pandemic, and it's an opportunity for the people of our congregation to talk about what they went through and deal with the emotional pain and challenges. They've been phenomenal. There are also the new responsibilities for those who care for the spiritual caregivers. As the Bishop for the Episcopal Diocese of Indianapolis, the Reverend Jennifer Baskerville Burroughs oversees about 150 clergy, most of whom have to provide a kind of pastoral care unlike what they were trained for. You know, who I am as a priest, as a minister, if I can't do those things that are bedrock, showing up in person, laying hands, anointing with oil. She says much of her work these days involves just checking in on her clergy. Lots of conversations about, well, what does it mean to be a minister or a priest in this time when those bedrock things, those foundational things are not available to us? So as bishop, I want to make sure that they're doing okay and have some support. They have some supports they need in very difficult time. All these faith leaders are being asked hard questions like, why is God doing this to us? Sister Paula Therese says they are questions that can't be necessarily be answered. So much of life is, is, is a mystery. So much of what's happening in people's lives is a mystery. And sometimes there aren't words. There just aren't words. However, being present with somebody says a lot. It's a ministry of presence practiced intensely over this year of COVID. Stay tuned at NPR for more. For more, yes. The hounds of Baskerville. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> well, you know, it's it's important to understand, you know, I hope you heard a lot of what was going on there. Um, I, I want to expand a little bit on on the four people that uh, were they were representing. So this is Pastor Patrick Young. First Baptist, I can actually use my pointer. 
there's Rabbi Jason Weiner, and Right Reverend Jennifer Baskerville Burroughs, and then Sister Paula Therese Pilon, uh, Congregation of Sisters of St. Joseph uh, at the Cleveland Clinic. So um, their ministry and their experience uh, was uh, challenging, and you're gonna, you'll relate to these. So I'm gonna share a little bit about each four, each one of these four, okay? And then uh, we'll have an opportunity to discuss again a little bit about not only the dramatic reading, but also about these four individuals. Uh, some are chaplains, some are not. Um, in fact, um, you got a hospice chaplain, director of spiritual care, and a pastor, First Baptist, and then uh, the bishop that was overseeing, you know, a hundred and some odd clergy. So, um, so we're gonna we're gonna get to the discussion after I share. So this is from Pastor Patrick Young. The fourth Sunday in March of 2020 was the last Sunday we had church. I can't believe it's a year coming up. Before the pandemic, we had a congregation of about 350. The majority of our members are over 60. I've lost eight over this year so far. Three back to back and five others spaced throughout the year. I had eight others who contracted COVID, but thankfully they survived. The ones who fought through it, I couldn't visit them in the hospital. So what I did was contact their loved ones, their family members, and I ministered to them over the phone. I checked on them and let them know that we were there to support them and pray for them and talk through their frustrations. I also started a fireside chat every Thursday night over the phone. It's for everyone in the congregation. Can you imagine all those people on, the, on, a, on a kind of phone call? I have a segment I call Faith Through the Pandemic. It's my spot to allow them to vent or release the tension they've been dealing with, through, with during this pandemic in a healthy, faith-driven, spirit-filled environment. They can share their pain during that time. Some feel like giving up, like life is no more. So much that they are angry with God. And it is healthy for them to express it. When I come on, I highlight the idea that by sharing their feelings, they're going to be better for it. I've been in the ministry for about 30 years, but there's been nothing comparable to this, having to go through these challenges on a consistent basis. Something is always coming up. You go home, you think you're through, and then boom, the phone is ringing. For me, it's been a challenging but also rewarding time and a growing time. I always look ahead to how I'm going to move the church, how to provide a ministry beyond the walls. We already had an outreach ministry with our food pantry, and since the pandemic, we have moved from serving 300 families to serving 2,100 families. So I'm embracing a new congregation. We have been providing COVID testing and vaccinations. We've distributed coats to the community, bags of books, and toys for those children who are in need. We really, really started reaching out. So, in the next couple minutes, just share what he shared and what your thoughts are about what they did as a church congregation and what he did as their pastor and the things that, one of the things that I've been told and told is that even in the midst of how horrible this pandemic has been, and there's no question about that, the silver linings that are there, where God has worked things in amazing ways because of the people that he is entrusted with those efforts. So let's just share a couple minutes about what, what uh, Pastor Patrick said, and then I'll share a little bit from Rabbi.
Okay, what I'd like to do is share uh, the words uh, from Rabbi uh, Wiener, Rabbi Jason. And again, he's at Cedar sinai Hospital in, uh, in L.A. There has been a sustained experience of loss over the entire year. We've lost a number of patients, especially in December and January, when we experienced more loss than at any other point in the pandemic. This is such a contagious illness, and with the isolation of the patients, it makes it much more overwhelming and exhausting and frustrating for the chaplains. We have some staff who are used to seeing death, but some are not. They're dealing with stress and trauma that they haven't experienced ever in the past. There is secondary trauma, post-traumatic stress, however you want to call it. There is grief that is cumulative, and it gets worse and worse and worse, and you feel it. It's painful. Sometimes you could just be sitting at home, and you hear a siren or something, it could be a trigger. It's definitely severe. As chaplains, we're trying to provide support for the staff, for the patients, and for the families. So it's a triple whammy in some ways. Our jobs are much more complex, especially in dealing with the families. They're afraid because they can't see for themselves. Normally, you would have families at the bedside and they would see for themselves how sick the patient is or how they're recovering. Even if they don't understand medicine, they're there. But now, when you're trying to explain things to them, either they think the worst, or they don't recognize how bad it is, or there's distrust and there's frustration. When a clergy member or the chaplain walks into a hospital room, it brings out different things. Yes, sometimes it's anger at God. You're the one they get to unleash their anger on. And our role is, okay, you know what? If you're angry at God and you want to take it out on me, I'm not going to blame you for that. Hopefully, I can model a compassionate presence. As much as I believe that God is loving and forgiving and not punishing you, I don't know if I can convince you. But if I can be a compassionate person, hopefully you can get the feeling from someone who represents religion that God is love and is compassion. And he's here with you. So I'd like you again to take a few minutes and just discuss what Rabbi just shared and, uh, and how he approached things in uh, the ministry he did there at Cedar sinai What I'd like to do is just share a few words about uh, from Jennifer and then from Paula, and then I'll let you guys have a few minutes to discuss. So again, uh, Jennifer is the uh, Bishop for the Episcopal Diocese of Indianapolis. It actually covers about two-thirds of the state of Indiana, so quite a large area. Um, they have 48 congregations, an Episcopal school, many charities, they have chaplains. And this is what she says, my role as bishop is to care for all those clergy who are caring for people. There are about 200 of them, that includes everybody you see involved in, to taking care of, who I'm in touch with regularly. I know it's been a toll on them to figure out how to do ministry in a way that they have not been trained for. Ah, that's a key. Who am I as a priest, as a minister, if I can't do those things that are bedrock? Showing up in person, laying hands, touching, anointing with oil. We have lots of conversations about what it means to be a minister or a priest or a chaplain in this time when those foundational things are not available to us to do. 
We have a call every other week so I can just check in on them. I want to see their faces. I want to see how they're doing. And as a bishop, I want to make sure they have support that they need in a very difficult time. So Right Reverend Jennifer Baskerville Burroughs has had lots of conversations about what it means to be a minister or a priest during the pandemic. Looking at the landmark number, half a million people dying, lots of people sick, lots of people hungry, one of the things that give us purpose is that our job is to keep showing up, providing meals, helping people to get registered, helping people to get vaccinated, helping care for people. Our leaders want to double down on that because what COVID has exposed is all the inequities that we know have always been there. We're trying to figure out how to make sure we're doing that ministry of showing up and making a difference in our corner of the world. Our theology is such that we believe God is with us always, but particularly in these difficult times. Helping people connect with how God might be showing up for them has been a conversation. For clergy, it's how we help people remember that God is present in this really, really horrendous time. I think part of the struggle, honestly, for the clergy is how to do funerals. There are so many of them. How do we really grieve? I suspect that when we see a little more daylight in this pandemic, that's when the really difficult work is going to begin because we'll have to process all the grieving that we've been doing for more than a year. So I wanted to share that and then also words from Sister Paula. When COVID happens and we were told not to go into homes, we had to rethink our work. We had to reimagine how to do pastoral care in a virtual setting. It was hard in the beginning to figure out how to pastorally walk with people when I can't be with them in person. I'm a people person. What I discovered was that I was actually reaching more people because some people normally might say, no, thank you, we don't need a chaplain because they don't want a chaplain coming into their home. But I was able to talk with them on the phone or by video, and that was a blessing. Kind of one of those little silver linings again. Sister Paula Teresa Pilon says the most important thing she can provide for grieving families is to be present. Just as important as supporting people when they are dying is supporting the family members. In our hospice care, when we talk about a patient, we're talking about the whole family. We support all the people who are involved with that person who is dying. Their family, their friends, the people that are caring for them. COVID is this disease that seemingly came out of nowhere and suddenly people are dying from it. Some people ask me, where is God in all this? Kind of like the why, 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 yeah. Why is God letting this happen to my loved one? It's very difficult to watch people suffer like this. I called one person to offer condolences about her mother after her mother died and she told me she was in the hospital at the same time her mother was dying because she had COVID herself. She couldn't be with her mom. when her mom was dying. It's just, so it's just so sad. It's just so sad. And there's a kind of cumulative grief that I suffer as a pastoral care person, hearing story after story about the people they've lost. I think the most important thing I provide for families during COVID is a ministry of presence. 
And as you heard earlier, so much of life is a mystery. So much of what is happening in people's lives is a mystery. And sometimes there aren't words. There just aren't any words. However, being present for somebody says a lot. I create a space for people to share, to talk about their struggles, what's happening, and time to process it. They just need someone to listen to them and validate their reality and validate their experience and know they are loved. So again, spend a few minutes just talking about those two stories I just read and um, what you got from them and how it relates to you. Let's do that. Is there uh, anyone in the, in the group discussion that would like to sh share anything that you discussed? Anyone? Something that, uh, that really shined? I like what Jennifer said about, I just think in contact with the people, I want to see your face, I want to know what's going on in your life. It's a tough time for them to do for anybody else, but they don't do that. Yeah. Yeah, that's very true. Yes, sir. John? Our hospice company has been, uh, we talk about Oh, wait, wait, wait. I need to, hang on. Yeah, thank you. Well, it's a little hard to hear if they want There you go. Now, one of the things our hospice company's been doing we did it during the early part of the pandemic. Closer. We host a, a, a weekly Zoom meeting for the whole company and for like a regional company. So I cover many states. And it's just a chance for any staff member to get on and sort of share how they're feeling now, what they're going through. It's hosted by one of the chaplains. And it's just sort of a venting session yeah. with some feedback. And it's been, I think, been really good. Black people to sort of share what their experience has been, how they're feeling, how they're adjusting to now coming back at the office and getting back out there. And it's been like it's on Zoom, so they're seeing each other face to face. It's been pretty productive, I think, for helping people to kind of just get their emotions out get their there, emotions, their yeah. out there and, and feel like they're being supported. Yeah. Do you remember um, thank you, John. Um, for those that have been active duty for long enough that they were who is active duty during 9-11? Okay. Okay. Or, I mean, but are, or serving in, in, in yeah. So, um, we in the military, we called them sensing sessions. Do you remember that? The sensing sessions? It was a hard to say. I was an Air Force thing. I don't know what the Navy did. They probably called it anchor sessions or something. I don't know. Anyway, um, and the Army, well, yeah, yes, turret times or something. I don't know. Um, so, but it was sensing sessions. And you spend time in little groups talking about your feelings and your emotions about 9 11. I did sensing sessions, as you know, many of you know, I was, I was directly involved in the Oklahoma City bombing and providing sensing, sensing sessions in that, but also doing care for people and funerals for people. After I'd just done, as you know, I think I, I'm sure I've shared this story, I'd done a wedding for this couple the week before the Oklahoma City bombing. And then I was doing the service for the spouse, for the wife that was killed in that bombing because she had walked in to change her name at the registry and was killed. And so here I am doing her funeral after doing their wedding. So yeah, 
And so someone who needed sensing sessions was this guy <laughs> as well. And, and that's my encouragement to you guys. I never took care of myself in that. You know, and here I am today is so emotional about it because I never did. And it will never go away because I never took care of myself. You know, had someone that I talked to about it and unloaded and it was, it's tough and it still is, you know. So in a way it's kind of a little bit of a PTSD situation that I have, you know. And uh, it'll never go away. You know, of course, you know, I'm kind of an emotional guy anyway, this is me. But, you know, so, but it's, it, it's hard. And I will never get that out of my mind. But you need to make sure in the midst of your ministry or in the midst of your support for those that are serving in ministry as chaplains, that you are there for them and taking care of yourselves, but also taking care of each other. It's so important. You know, so um, I'm going to segue a little bit in kind of the midst of a organization that could help support in different ways and kind of be connected with chaplains. Um, so um, we met a little bit ago, so Andrew, yeah. I'm gonna pass on the mic, I, do, I, you know, I don't know whether I need it or not, but okay. um, Third Mill, uh, we do theological and biblical education for the world for free. We, you can go check it out, our website is thirdmill.org. We want to serve chaplains of all varieties in, a many, in many different ways. But we offer basically the first two years of a theological training, MDiv, um, Bible and theology. We put online and offline on micro SD cards, on USB drives, um, other ways which you can use it in your ministry. And we see it for training under-resourced leaders, um, under-resourced pastors. Uh, if you have people in your ministry that would like to study deeper the Word of God, this is a resource for you. Um, but it's not all at a master's level. It also can be slowed down and can be adjusted, and we can help you with that if you want to use it as a Bible study or other means in your communities. It's something that you can hand to a guy when he's going on deployment and say, this is stuff you can keep studying, you can keep growing, and he can work through it on his own, or, he, or you can work through it in a small group. My email is alam at thirdmill.org. If there's any way we can serve you, or if you see me around, I'll give you my card. If there's any way we can serve any of you in your, in your efforts, um, we desire to do so. That's my minute. Thank you, sir. You did great. And the, the, keep in mind, all of us are, are encounter people that are interested in chaplaincy, interested in ministry. And that is a great connection to make. Um, you know, with, with uh, getting people that are looking at that to get connected in that. And way. this is, right now, we're in 22 different languages and we're moving to 32 in the next five years. So if you have people in your ministry that are Spanish or Farsi or Arabic or Russian or you go down the list, we, we are endeavoring to get into those languages so we can give you something that you can look at in English they can look at in Russian or Spanish or Bahasa Indonesian or you name it, we're working on it. So, Do you have Klingonese or Vulcan? Uh, my sons want to do that. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> okay, um, 
So we're going to be, so our last part, as you see, we're a little off time. Um, our last part is going to be, uh, we're not going to have discussion time, but I want to share a few videos with you um, about chaplains in action. And, um, and it's a variety of chaplains in action. So, um, so please enjoy them. I'm just kind of going to go through them. And then as we uh, share in that time, uh, we might have, and then we're going to have a, afterwards, we're going to have a little discussion time, kind of a question and answer time with each other. Um, maybe some additional chaplain sharing. Um, and then a few other uh, things that I will um, kind of hosp uh, hospitality. Um, whatever, all of a sudden went out of my brain. Um, wrap up stuff so and uh, with you all and be able to do that as well so okay so uh, in the meantime uh, I uh, we will continue on so please enjoy uh, this first video that I want to share with you um, and again I just want to thank you for all your attentiveness uh, and and uh, being involved and engaged and all that you have been doing with this as part of our uh, chapter workshop this year. So enjoy this first one. There was this one patient I remember that was really difficult because they were so, they kept telling the nurse, why am I alone? Where, where are my family members? And there was nothing she could do. The amount of fear was incredible. I'm not sure which one's the uh, video, so I just erase it up there. Neither side I don't know which one you know, doesn't show. And it was spreading like rapid fire just everywhere. Deacon Jeff Tully oversees healthcare chaplains for the Archdiocese of New Orleans. That covers 123 medical facilities in eight parishes. There's a lot of sadness out there. And the sadness stems from people being alone, people not having that physical embrace of family. Father Tom McKinn has been the chaplain at Oxford Medical Center for nearly four years. He recalls the overwhelming early weeks of the pandemic that reminded him of the old TV series MASH. The MASH unit was overwhelmed, they needed supplies, they didn't have any beds, you know, et cetera, et cetera. It looked like that, it reminded me of that. I mean, they had stretchers out of the hallways. God bless the nurses and doctors. You know, they were doing the best they could under the circumstances. And chaplains were right there alongside the medical staff. But it was really difficult. So all we could do was just kind of be normal presence. Last spring, caregivers struggled to curb the growing number of COVID cases. A climbing death toll only added to their stress, and chaplains shared in that frustration. Just like I tell you, the nurses are struggling and the doctors are struggling because they want to be able to reach out and fix the problem. So are the priests. The priests want to be there. The priests want to say, okay, how do we do that? How do we see more patients? How do we get in here? Chaplains were initially limited to talking with patients by phone or through a window. That changed after a few months, and then Father McKenna says it was just a matter of faith and courage. But I said, well, look, all the nurses are going in there. The doctors are going in there. The people who clean the rooms are going in there. 
why the heck am I not going to heaven? It's like everyone else on the front lines of the pandemic, there's a price to pay for burying the others to suffer and death. We're human beings, death takes a toll on us at times, particularly a lot of deaths, an overwhelming amount of deaths. And our priests are hurt. Our priests are hurt because they want to embrace the patient. They want to be there. Outcomes are improving in the year into the pandemic, and Tully says chaplains also feel like they're making a bigger impact, whether they're providing hope or comfort. For Father McCann, the past year has reaffirmed the reasons he entered the priesthood, and especially his role as a chaplain. He remembers what a seminary professor once told him. When you work for the church, the pay's not necessarily great, but the benefits are out of this world. That's kind of the way you think about it. Reporting for WTSU, I'm Greg LaRose. So that's the first one I wanted to share. Oops. So that's the first one I wanted to share. Little compassion can make a very big difference during this long and grueling pandemic. KB's Molly Oak spoke with two chaplains with Baylor Scott and White about how they're bringing comfort to families and hospital staff. How has your job changed? And it's a question for both of you. Because of the changes in uh, visitation policy, because uh, the higher stress level and anxiety level among staff, our focus of ministry shifted toward providing support to staff and helping them uh, cope during this time. Uh, it can be a very anxious thing working in an environment where you're more than likely to be exposed to the COVID-19 virus, and uh, especially those who are working in the COVID units. And especially in the early days, they were really juggling school and children and childcare and what was safe, what was not safe, and kind of being inundated with information at work and then trying to take that home and translate it. Um, so we, I've also done a lot more, a lot of the uh, staff support as well. Do you ever feel like you almost substitute family members with the visitation policy changes and things like that? Many times I get phone calls from family members asking, hey, can you go in and, and pray for our, our loved one or can you just like, speak to them? And when I... Oops, sorry. I pressed the button. I don't know if it'll... Can you hit play? Through this pandemic, we've seen amazing work by Oops. our local first yeah, responders. That's okay. We're just going to continue. Pressure to help keep the public safe. But there's a group working behind the scenes to make sure emergency workers also get to help and get the help they need. Ten News reporter Jared Aarons highlights their work in a story that's positively Literally putting themselves in harm's way. Nikki Stonier is staying busy during the coronavirus pandemic, helping the people who help the rest of us. They're having to leave their family to go serve the community and put stresses on them at a time like this. Stonier is a chaplain with the San Diego Fire Department. He leads a team of 120 other chaplains through the Rock Church. They offer spiritual and emotional support to firefighters and paramedics. Clear that when people go through a horrific crisis, it takes them to the core 
of their core values, their beliefs, uh, and that's why chaplains are very significant. Every day, the chaplains make dozens of calls or texts to help the firefighters cope. San Diego Fire Chief Colin Stoll says they've been an essential part of the force during the pandemic. Our chaplains are able to provide them with resources, provide them with education and reassurance of their need in the public and how we can best keep our, our family members safe. More than anything, they offer hope. People are fearful and sometimes a little anxious, and it's great to have a calming presence to support people in times like this. Jared Aarons, 10 News. just a few videos of some of the chaplaincy work that's going on out there. So um, I wanted to share those with you. Um, what did you see was kind of a thread of commonality amongst all those videos? Yes, sir. And I was on a conference call with the National Hospital. 
Hospice Guide of Care Association, which is you know the National Agency for Hospice. Oh, you know what? Hang on. I know. That's okay. And I'm supposed to record it. Yeah, there you go. Uh, it just reminded me, I was on a conference call with the National Hospice and Private Care Association in this, in this pandemic, and they were just, one of the things that, uh, and I think that the general manager was leading the conversation, said was, this pandemic has really reminded healthcare providers and, like, that chaplains are important, that we're an important part of people's healthcare. And that's a good thing, because it reminds us that we're needed, it reminds administrators that we're needed, it reminds the people of power that we're needed, that we play a positive role in the lives of healthcare we provide. And it's a bad situation, but it does remind people that we're out there, that we provide a very good service, and that it's very important to people. You know, Thank you, John. The whole thing is a big reminder that chaplains are important. Right, yes, yeah. And, and the fact that, um, that San Diego, it was, if I recall correctly, it was two stations that covered uh, the Rock Church. So that's pretty impressive right there. So, yeah. Anybody else want to share? What was the key word that you heard in, uh, in those videos? Presence. Presence. What other key words? Calming. Calming. Or key thoughts even, it doesn't have to even be a word. Say again? Contact. Contact. It's an H word I'm looking for. Hope. Who said hope? Yes. Hope. Happiness. 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 <laughs> you just come up with it. But it is heaven. I mean, yeah, there's all sorts of H words. But hope was the one that, yes. Yes. So any, anything else that you took from that? I don't hear well. Somebody say peace. Peace? Peace. Very good. I heard the word help a couple of times. Help? They call them. They don't know they need help until we call. Yeah. And they know we need help. Yeah. And who was the help being given to? Or hope, or support, or peace, or whatever? The first responders. The first responders. The staff. Remember we talked about staff? The different staff. The elements of staff in a hospital. Yeah. Do you think the staff was worn out in a hospital with this pandemic? Oh, yeah. Oh, my goodness gracious. Yeah. Can you imagine all the first responders having to make all these calls because people were dying or near death or, you know, having trouble breathing at home because of COVID? I mean, they were constantly being called. You know, is that true? You know, police, fire department, anyone? Who else works with uh, uh, kind of a first responder or that type of? If you were still with the Mobile Sheriff's Office, would you have been busy as all get out with that? Oh, yeah, of course you would have. Yeah. Yeah, there's no question. You know, and those who work, I mean, I'm sure all of you in some way or another, like I shared before, dealt with. Um, the challenges that COVID brought and bring, still brings. It hasn't stopped, right? Did you have any issues with COVID in the prison? Uh, we did pretty good. Uh, we got 900 inmates, and the most we had at one time was 37 cases, which was actually pretty good. And we had one staff member who died, and she did not get COVID from her interactions in the facility. Okay. But we were pretty vigilant on the inside, so. 
Okay. Okay. Were you engaged with that person that uh, that did die? Uh, yeah. yeah, I was engaged with her, but um, she, um, I talked to her pretty much every day, but um, she went out with a little cold, and uh, hmm. you know, she was, she was um, 69 years old, planned to retire in a year and a half, and she had a little cold, and uh, she said, you know, I'm just going to take a few days off because uh, I just can't take any chances. Yeah, yeah. There's something to always remember, you all, and thank you for sharing that, appreciate that, is in the midst of your ministry, um, God is always faithful. Amen? Always. What does he call us to be? Faithful. God is faithful. You need to be faithful. Okay? And, uh, and that is so important. In, in, a, in what you do as a chaplain. Do you get tired? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But who can give you strength? God. Just remember that. But also in the midst of that, you've got to take care of yourselves. You have to take care of yourselves. You know. And you must not neglect your family. Don't, don't ever do that. Okay. Can I throw a few cents in there too? Yes, you may. I think the importance of wait, 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 wait. Because of the recording thing, I, I want to make sure. There you go. You know, my, my experience personally, as well as with other folks in ministry, is we we just don't do that well. And so I think part of what we need is a right. good community of folks around us, whether that's a couple of close friends, mentors, whatever, that, that can turn around and look us in the eye and say, hey, you need you need to take care of yourself and, and have those honest conversations with us. We're, we're not always willing to do that ourselves because we're, you know, you're out there running hard and you don't want to take a knee, but sometimes we need, need somebody to look us in the eye and do that. So, so I, I, my challenge is to really develop those close relationships uh, so that you've got people in your life that can do Thank you. We all need that. We all need that. I mean, yes, I'm your chaplain endorser. I love you, okay? And I want to support you and take care of you. But I'm just one person, you know, with 70 plus to, to support. And so even though I'm always accessible and always want to be accessible, I can't always be there. And it's so critical that you have somebody that is local that can come alongside you, that you can talk to and unload on, and, it, and preferably not your husband or your wife, okay? <laughs> you know, I mean, that is a wonderful thing, and it's wonderful, that's what marriage is about. But you need to have someone that is outside that central circle, you know, that you can, that can be a support you. can always call for us, you. that's what pastor serves. Yeah, oh yeah, and pastor serves gonna be here so those of you not familiar with Pastor Serve, I would encourage you. They are a great, great organization and a great support. And I would encourage you to get connected with Pastor Serve as they are here because they're here for you. And, uh, and it's, it's great. I got the EPC connected with them years ago. And I'm so thankful that that has continued. They can always so. call their care partner too. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. So as you know, the Child Working Care Committee, you have a care partner that is your partner. 
If you don't know who that partner is, you need to find out. You should know because I would have told you or we would have told you, but just call us. You know, and that partner should be calling you anyway. But don't take them for granted either. Use them. They want to be used, not necessarily abused, but they want to be used, okay? So because there are some chaplains that get called by their chaplain working care committee, care partner, it's like, oh, I don't need anything, you know. Take advantage of them. They're there for you. So I just want to encourage you on that, okay? And those that will hear this recording, remember that. Okay. All right. Um, oops. I already moved it. So remember something very important, guys. God doesn't forget you when you are in the workplace, okay? And God is as much with you in your institution as he is in the church, okay? So remember that. And, you know, chaplain, it's a major missional opportunity. I, I very much see chaplains in many ways as missionaries. Because you're going places that a typical four-wall pastor is not going to be able to go, you know. And so, you know, I believe more people are going to come across chaplains because you're out and about and doing things with people and in connecting with people and doing that ministry of presence that no pastor could ever really do. You know, that pastor has a flock, very important, as that pastor of that church. Your flock is all over the place, you know, and it's always changing. So that makes it even more challenging, you know. You don't have a session, which might be good at times. <laughs> anyway, but <laughs> um, thank the Lord for that. Yeah. Anyway, no, you don't have a session, but the session, as a rule, is incredibly supportive of supportive of their pastor. You know, so so it's important um, that you know that that you are are cared for and and that you have a you have a lot of work to do. What an incredible impact you can have. Amen? Amen? Yeah. Amen to that. Okay. Part of what you're saying, Mark, is what the session provides for pastors, we don't get provided for. Right. Because we don't have the support. We don't have this person tapping on our shoulder and saying, hey, you're working too many hours. Or, hey, what are you not doing? Yes, it should be done. Yeah. And so we miss that. So we need to depend on each other and, the, and our committee for that in many ways. Yeah. Uh, that's like what you were sharing. You need to have that. You need to have a support network, okay? And, and I hope you all do, beyond what the committee and beyond what your endorser can provide, okay? All right. Um, these are just some comments from some chaplains, you know, a hospital chaplain. I hope that through my presence and any interventions I carry out, I... I incarnate, incarnate something of God's grace and love as seen in Jesus for that person. And then Navy chaplain. Like all chaplaincy work, it's being there. Whether it is on a base, whether it is on a ship, whether it is out visiting somebody, wherever you go. You know? On deployments. I loved my deployments. For an Air Force guy, I was deployed crazy a number of times. Six and a half times. And the reason it was half is because one was a very short Haitian deployment. I was deployed to Haiti. But six times for this guy. That's very crazy for an Air Force guy. 
Not so much unusual for an army person. Well, it's pretty normal but for Navy. For Navy? The, uh, yeah, but you're on a ship. You're cruising. You're on a cruise. Okay. <laughs> anyway, but I, I, had, I had tough deployments, but I loved them because I could be completely a chaplain. I didn't have to deal with this and that and the other thing. Oh my goodness, it was so refreshing. You know? So does anyone relate to that? Amen. Mm, it's so different. Anyway, uh, I would talk in terms of in, in incarnational theology, in terms of God being everywhere, and perhaps the job of, um, of the priest to help draw the veil back a little bit and help people see the presence of God or Christ in those situations. That's from a correctional facility chapel. Um, I think that's the mission of the chaplaincy, to seek to find a way to allow everybody's soul to be touched by the love of God. That's from a hospice chaplain. And then from an Air Force chaplain, this is about sharing God's love. This is a practical outworking of that. Not with an agenda to bring people to faith, but because that's what I feel called to do in response to my faith. And it is mission in the sense that you are going out to where people are. We're going to skip the next slide because of time. But, well, actually, we're not going to skip the next slide. We are going to skip the next slide because for some reason, what was supposed to, let me go back. Yeah, actually, just a quick question. Um, how do you see the scope of, of spiritual care you provide in the midst of your work as a chaplain, especially this past year or so in, in these unique times? How do you see your scope of spiritual care. Anyone want to answer that? Share how you see your scope of spiritual care. What you've given. Any thoughts? It's your opportunity to use Mr. Microphone. Oh, I'll, I'll share. Yeah. Okay. Nobody else is going to. I will. This is from a totally different perspective. Um, I'm retired from the Navy, I'm retired from hospice, and I'm fully retired. The last year, year and a half, I've been dealing with pretty serious health issues off and on. I've been having to see a doctor once a week for the last six months. That's just, it's a wound issue. And, and in the midst of all that, I find myself being, a, being the chaplain that I was before I retired. Um, being able to speak with medical personnel, who some were hurting because of COVID, but struggling with that. And I'm walking in as a patient, and, and in fact, I just got a phone call yesterday from, from the receptionist at the wound care office where I've been going every week, who called me about an issue that didn't have anything to do with my care. And Marilyn called and asked if I would pray with her. And, and you know, be, it was kind of interesting to go in as the patient and yet being able to minister. I felt like I was going as a chaplain, you know what I mean? And then we all do that, don't we, in some of our lives? Mm -hmm. And so for me, my ministry during COVID, while unofficial, uh, my official ministry has been with the Chapel Work Care Committee. My unofficial retirement has been with medical personnel that I've run into all over. And it's, just, it's been amazing, uh, and it's kind of fun. Mm -hmm. I felt like I was being a chaplain. Being a chaplain, yeah. Yeah. Anyone else? Anyone else like to share? Yeah. There you go, James. 
Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, my favorite part about the job in some case is just that you never know what any day is going to bring, that you just, you know, be many things to many men and women. And um, so this past fall was, it was really tough. There were three, three deaths in about a month period, um, two of them being suicides of um, 25 and under guys on base within two weeks. Um, and so there was that hat of just kind of praying and showing up like, you know, there's no words to tell the spouse about why this happened because I don't know yeah. why I didn't know why. Um, and then, you know, those are the times when I think feel it a lot. Being there, you feel the pain, you share that grief. There's this old proverb that, uh, not biblical proverb, but what wisdom saying, I guess, uh, grief shared is halved, joy shared is doubled, um, and being able to share that grief with them. And then on the flip side, this is an encouragement um, I got from an airman last week. Uh, started a new service kind of thing on the evenings that airmen are running. Um, and there's pizza, there's leftover pizza, so I brought it over to the base operations center because it's like 10 o'clock at night. So bring it to the security forces, firefighters sitting there. Hey, what's up? Here's the pizza, guys. Have a good night because I'm going home at this point. And uh, <laughs> drop it off, and an airman called me a week later. It's like, hey, Chaplain, you know, this is uh, A1C, whatever. And um, do you remember when you brought pizza a few weeks ago? And I was like, no, honestly. <laughs> You know, there's a lot of food moving around in different places. And he was like, well, I was in the room, and right before you walked in, one of the guys was saying, man, I didn't bring any dinner. And I hate going to the DFAC at night. It's raining. Like, I don't like the food there. He's like, I guess I'm just going to go hungry. He's like, and literally right when he said the word, I guess I'm just going to go hungry, the door swings open, and you walk in, you're like, what's up, everybody? Who wants a pizza? Um, and he was like, and then you left, and you didn't realize this. He was like, but it got real quiet. And everybody was like, that was strange. <laughs> and then the airman said, and I shared the gospel with everybody in that room because I got to talk about the bread of life that doesn't leave people hungry. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it was just super encouraging. And this airman, he was like, and people were receptive to it, and we had follow-up conversations. So that was just kind of, you know, you're with people in grief, but also these little things you do every day. You don't realize the way God is moving in the midst, and yeah. you know more of those as you get through your ministry. Yeah, yeah, so cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, if I can, if I can say to that, hold on to that. You don't always get the hey, what happened after right. story. So keep hold of that one. That is, yeah, that's a very, very good point. So you know the seeds you plant, you don't always know. Um, there was a. Um, Oh, before, because you mentioned proverb, so I have a proverb for you. Um, uh, a bottomless cup will never hold coffee. Think about it. <laughs> bottomless. Uh, anyway, okay. So, um, so Bruce, anyway, you mentioned proverbs, so I had it. Anyway, so Bruce shared with me a, a magazine. A lot of you may be familiar with them. Um, uh, what's it called again? Uh, the, the military... Uh, MMOA. Yeah, 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 yeah. MOA, yeah. So military... What does it stand for? What's that? Military officers. 
Yeah, yeah Military Hours Association. Um, anyway, and um, so there was an article in there about a chaplain that Bruce sent me, and I meant to bring it. But it talked about this chaplain that was at, I think he was at a DFAC, at a, um, uh, a dining facility, and he was walking in, and I think it might have been a Marine. I'm not quite sure if I remember that correctly, but this Marine stopped him and said, hey, chaplain, do you got a minute? And the chaplain responded, well, you know, uh, let me go grab some food, and, and then I'll, I'll, I'll be back. So he went, grabbed some food, came back, and of course the young man was gone. Who knows what that man, what that young Marine needed to talk to him about. And he said after that experience, he changed his entire approach to ministry and never, ever, ever did that again. Something to learn from. Yeah. So we just got to remember that. You never know when God has placed you in that place with somebody else that needs you right then. Yeah. So just, just always remember that. Okay. Um, okay, we're going to go on. Um, so just a few things. Uh, our calling was never meant to be easy. And I think anyone who is a chaplain knows that. Anyone who's supporting chaplains uh, have found that out. Um, so you know, I was, you know, I was, I was, I was ten years old when I came to know the Lord, and I'm I'm thankful for that. At Aurora Faith Presbyterian in Aurora, Colorado, Mark Moore was the pastor, and um, and then when I got the call to chaplain ministry down at Holloman Air Force Base in New Mexico, and I've shared that story, how that all happened, uh, it you know began the process of me becoming a chaplain, and I, and I was idealistic. It was, it was after I got over the shock of that I was God was calling me to become a chaplain. Um, but I was idealistic and full of hope as God called me to use my words, you know, and, and what I would write, what I would speak, how it impact uh, my little varying corners of the military world. And, and it was kind of my burning bush moment in a way um, without the actual burning bush. Um, so what I didn't know was that, that God's calling on my life, um, you know, would send me on really a very challenging and uh, invigorating journey. I had no idea what I would experience in those 25 years of, of chaplaincy ministry experience that I had. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and, and from the moment that I said yes to God, life got kind of hard. It, it did. Um, and it was, you know, I, I was kind of surprised by that because I figured, well, I'm following God's calling, you know, and the Holy Spirit's got me, and, um, you know, shouldn't pursuing my God-inspired dreams be easy? Um, not exactly. It, it was tough at times. And, and so what I'm saying is our calling is never, it was never meant to be easy. You know, it sounds glamorous when we talk about our dreams and all the awe-inspiring things, uh, that we believe God is, is birthing out of us um, in our various chaplain ministries and impacts. Yet when we find ourselves in the middle of the desert or valley 
in pursuing this calling. Has anyone ever been in the desert or valley in their ministry? You know? And if you're just getting into it, you will. Okay? Um, you know, we can begin to question, you know, whether our dreams are really God-inspired. You know, or even worse, we doubt our ability to keep moving forward to see the calling through to its completion. And um, challenging callings, um, you know, have biblical precedent. You know, many of the great men and women who hold the, the pillars of, of the Christian faith knew what it was and how hard it was at times to respond to God's calling. And, uh, I mean, Noah, I mean, here's Noah. You want me to do what? Build a what? Where? For why? You know? And, um, you know, you want me to do what with the animals? Gather them by, by two by two? All the animals? Do you know? I mean, there's no zoo nearby, God. I mean, you know. So, you know, and, and uh, he had to gather them up, save the last bit of humanity before a flood would destroy the earth. You know? It, it kind of makes me think how not having our high-tech world and ordering from Amazon two of each, you know, how he was able to do it back then. But, you know, God's got ways. Okay? Um, amazing work. Uh, look at Queen Esther. You know, she risked her very life um, and the genocide of her people, you know, when she was com com confronting that King Xerxes, uh, Xerxes. You know, so... When we do great things in the name of God, we can be sure that while His ways will always, always be the best, uh, they don't, definitely won't be the easiest. Agreed? We know that. So what does this mean for us today? Uh, what are we to learn from Noah and Esther and many of the other men and women who have done remarkable things to advance God's kingdom. When we are doing great things for God, it won't be easy, but it will be responding to what God has called us to do. There couldn't be anything more rewarding. You know? Good. Um... Over the next couple of minutes, over the next couple of minutes, as I look for the clicker, there it is, um, we're not going to take a break. It's past four. Sorry. Um, we're going to have just a little, and Mike had to, had to leave, but he will be joining us back for dinner for those that are going. Um, but it's just a little bit of open discussion time for you folks. That's kind of the end of the presenting time. Just an opportunity for us to kind of visit back and forth a little bit. So Brad, if you want to come up here, um, and uh, we'll just see if there's any questions you may have, any thoughts you may have, um, anything you want to share that didn't, you didn't get a chance to share earlier. We're only going to take about five minutes to do that. Um, you got, I'll give you this mic. Yeah, there we go. So um, does anyone have anything that they would like to 
to share as we... We are a family, you all. You know, as you can see, there are a lot of chaplains who are not able to be here today um, because of restrictions that they faced, because of mission situations, because of PCSs, permanent change of stations that were going on, uh, because of institutional restrictions, as I shared before, and so on. So um, hopefully next year uh, it will be uh, a lot more people. This was great. I kind of, in a way, sort of like it a little bit smaller because we can do a lot more interaction this way. But don't tell the folks I said that that aren't here today, okay? So, um, oh, dang it. Scratch that piece. Okay. Anyway, um, anyone like to ask a question, have something to share? Anything? Anyone? Oh, wait, wait, wait. Got to use the mic. I was wondering if maybe we could spend that extra time in prayer together, unless somebody does want to share something. We are going to do that, and we certainly can. And I'm glad you reminded me of that because I didn't want to not have that opportunity. So good, good on you, Blaze. Uh, right behind you, Scott. I'd just like to ask. From we've done a lot of sharing on the chaplain side, I think, of the group. But what is the committee seeing of the? EPC chaplaincy overall. Hmm. Good question. Uh, any of the committee members want to answer that first? Maybe a little bit off subject, but let me, uh, let me just throw out a thought that I've had. Um, I was on the nominating committee for three years, and uh, we, we were filling the slate for for you know, all the vacancies on all the committees, all the committees except for the National Leadership Committee. And we came to the Chaplains Committee and we had ruling elder vacancies. And we had a whole bunch of applications for teaching elder, uh, teaching elders that wanted to be on the Chaplains Committee. Mm. But uh, Jeff Jeremiah made the comment that uh, it's easy to fill the TE positions, but it's very difficult to fill the RE positions on the Chaplain's Committee. And I got to thinking, you know, there's there's a bunch of people throughout the denomination that have been uh, in the military as a career, not chaplains, but other other endeavors. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, through, throughout a, a, a career for, for both for both officers and enlisted, you have a lot of contact with chaplains. And you get to know chaplains, and you get to recognize the good chaplains and the bad chaplains. <laughs> and, <laughs> All good. And, uh, so when my term was up, I thought, I got to put my money where my mouth is. <laughs> So I nominated myself to be on this committee. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I knew that. It's been a great five years so far on the, on the committee. I yeah. thoroughly enjoyed it. This is a great team of people to work with. But I would encourage you, uh, as you run across people who have had a, a military career, uh, who might who might do well on this committee, to encourage them to uh, to submit the application through their through their uh, church session. And uh, let's change that uh, 
change that problem. Yeah, that paradigm <laughs> we're kind of gotten ourselves in. Well, and that's one of the things I'm thankful is that two of the is it two of the three people that are coming in are ruling elders. So, and I'm pleased, really pleased about that. For me? That'll be the three. Yes, because I want that balance of six and three, six to three. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so which is? No, we need that balance brought to us sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, and just want to add. So, also, I want to thank the spouses of the of those that serve on the committee, like Lois. You know, she's she's had to have him be gone at times. She has accompanied him at times, and and uh, so I'm just so thankful for the support uh, that you give and other spouses give uh, to those that are are part of the committee because we're a very busy committee, and you know, and we keep growing and we keep. I have. Several people in the on the in the loop right now that are looking at coming up for endorsement, and then as we add more of the volunteer chaplains into the uh, the fray, that's going to add even more to our 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 numbers and support. Probably one interview, Zoom type interview a month. Sometimes they've come, you know, within a couple of weeks, but we probably average about one a month this Just year. Just about. Mm -hmm. Yep. For for Which is a blessing. It's a joy, and it's um, neat to see everybody and coming one of the to things, the uh, yep. You'll see it, you know, in the general assembly all the things that are coming from from the yeah. Chapel Working Care Committee. Yeah, read that you report. Got, you've got eight, eight or nine things now coming yep. out different different ways. Yeah, um, most of that was covered by the committee and, and brought up through committee and our meetings and so on. Um, but Bruce was the guy who went back home and researched. Wait a minute, what do the rules of the assembly really say about this? <laughs> what what Which is good. What does it really say about this? And, and put a lot of that together and wrote that together before he gave it to me in proofread. So so a lot of that, and credit for that, goes to Bruce, even though the came from the committee. We never answered Chaplain Kenneth's question, though, which was what did we as a committee see happening with our chaplains? Um, and why don't you share a little bit of your own? Since you're both on the committee and the chapel, would you mind doing that? Yeah, and, and just, briefly, we've got to make it brief. So just a minute. So just a minute. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure what it is what I'm going to share. How you dealt with COVID as a chaplain? How our chaplains have dealt with COVID? Um, I think um, people have learned to be more creative. I liked what Mike said earlier up here about being innovative. Um, um, I also work in hospice. And, uh, um, we've had to slow down quite a bit, but that's not bad. I mean, it's okay to slow down. Um, uh, everything takes a little bit more effort because I have to wear a mask. Tell you, I have to wear goggles. I bring my computer. I carry it around the laptop. I'm supposed to disinfect it when I take it out of my bag. And then I'm supposed to disinfect it when I put it back in my bag. And it just seems there's, there's more steps to everything. <clears throat> so um, I think we have learned to uh, make more of the time that we have. Uh, we have to slow down. We have to do the stuff we're supposed to do so that we can be what we're called to be in those situations. That's, that's kind of a lot of stories 
driver to what your uniform got. Um, slowing down, it takes longer to get through the gate um, when I go in and out because of all the extra time. So, so it has slowed things down, but it's also but it's a lot of creativity, a lot of new ideas when it gets this. Okay, thank you. And uh, just a couple of, of um, you know, other quick things is, um, yeah, Russ? Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I just wanted to mention, here at the end of the day, um, I think I have the best endorser in, in, oh, in the area. Oh, that's what I want. <laughs> um, and, and I, you know, we, we had, for a lot of years, we had, we had a, another endorser, and at some point we were covered by the NAE. Um, but and, and but I, I just want to thank Mark Ingalls and I and whenever I get the chance I like to brag on my endorser yes. because uh, I, can, I get to deal with lots of endorsers I mean, you know in my former job now um, that okay where's the paper I'll sign you know otherwise leave me alone you know uh, but anytime that I've needed anything from you or, or even when I didn't need anything from you you're saying hey Russ you're gonna be in town um, and so I do appreciate it and it's it's a wonderful thing it's not only that getting calls from the working care committee I mean it means a lot it, it's like oh yeah I'm in the EPC this is great <laughs> you know I've been so, in the EPC since 1984 okay I've been a chaplain all throughout all that time nobody has done what you've done nobody I don't care I do happen to like one of the former endorsers but nobody's done what you've done you have met Thank you, you have met with my sheriff and talked about me to make sure I was doing a good job you've met with the FBI SAC for the division you've gone on calls with me nobody yeah. no, nobody yeah. in the EPC you probably remember I was also came in in 84 and I was the first chaplain endorsed from nothing to, from out of seminary to become an EPC chaplain. Yes. And, and you and I met at that time, but, but there wasn't a whole lot going on where they had us mixing together. I was the only guy in uniform for the first five years of the General Assembly. That was General Assembly four through nine or ten. And I felt lonely up there. But they gave me 15 minutes to tell you what my ministry was. <laughs> now, Mark has to tell about all your stuff during that time. This is such a change. This is why I love this committee and what we do so much and the opportunity to offer this discussion. What a change from, from what I started in 84. You know, and, and this is, so I, I think the NAE was all right, but you know, you know, <laughs> sort of. But then Mark Jumper took it on and really began to change things and then passed it on. Mark, and I thank you, Mark, for what you did for all these chapters, even though I didn't get the benefit of it. Thank you. Yeah, it was recorded. I'm going to, anyway. You guys, um, you mean an awful lot to me, and you know that. And, uh, it is a joy for me to be your endorser. Um, I, I do love you, and I love what you're doing. And, um, you know, it's, it's just neat. One of the things that's so important, I got higher volume, I don't know why, though I think I brought the mic closer, is um, uh, that's why 
Um, and for those of you who are older, you didn't sign the form, but now you have to actually sign the form. Um, that, you know, that's why I, I require chaplains to be here at the chaplain's workshop and General Assembly. Uh, as much as you can of General Assembly, because I know jobs uh, and situations and mission can sometimes affect that. But for chaplains, especially military chaplains, your connection with the EPC can sometimes be extremely limited, extremely small. We are a connectional denomination. We come to our general, which you will experience having not been here to it before, there is so much worship, there is so much camaraderie, there is so much love shared. Even when they disagree, they find ways to get a, you know, around those things and compromise and find that commonality. It's a beautiful thing. I did everything I could unless I was deployed, so I missed six um, general assemblies because it was so important, and you missed three. And so, um, that's why it is so valuable, and I hope and pray that this week you will be rejuvenated and uplifted, and you will feel God's presence in the midst of this. We have a brand new stated clerk coming on board, Dean Weaver, very different from Jeff Jeremiah. Jeff Jeremiah has been at the helm and been a blessing for the denomination these past 15 years. And Dean, I know, different approach to things, um, will be a tremendous blessing in the years to come. So I have no question about that. Um, with that said, just a few little housekeeping things as we close. Um, again, if you signed up to join me for a meal, I have your number. <laughs> so I will get a hold of you and let you know. Uh, if it's here at the church, uh, fine. If it's the one that was going to be off, 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 off base, off uh, campus tomorrow, um, you know, I'll let you know what I was thinking about as far as where we'd go. Um, so that's just really quick on that. Um, uh, if you can, try to wear your uniform again or identification of some sort through the, through the week so people can make a point of connecting with you. Great, great. Again, it's a great way of advertising, you know, the chaplaincy. Um, uniforms, you know, obviously that really stands out, so, which, is, which is awesome. Um, and then for the, uh, for the um, introductions, that's going to be on Thursday morning, hopefully. Um, what's going to happen, and that's the reason you filled out that information, those who have been here before um, know kind of the drill, but you, I will, you will be invited up on stage with me, and then I will introduce you just because of, of, of time, um, and that's why I have that information. So as I call your name, you know, you'll, you'll step forward, salute smartly, and I'm just kidding. A step forward, and, uh, you know, you, and then I'll talk about you a little bit from what you shared. And, uh, and then you just step back, and then the next name. So we'll just kind of do that, okay? And, uh, and then I'll share a few words as well about the chaplaincy and so on. Um, so just know about that. Any questions in regards to how that will work Thursday morning? Okay. Uh, if it changes, just look at the docket and be aware of when that might change. Um, again, you'll get continuing education credit if you desired that, if you indicated that. Um, the report that's online, uh, please be aware of that as well. And um, uh, the, uh, um, 
there was something else. What was it? Oh, yes. Um, there's going to be several things, and Brad kind of mentioned it, several things that will be voted on at this General Assembly. Uh, we, uh, com uh, I have completely reworked the webpage, so if you have not looked at the webpage recently, the chaplaincy webpage, you know, epc.org slash chaplaincy, be sure to look at that. Um, it's got some updated and valuable information and is a great source. If you know somebody who's interested in chaplaincy, you can direct them there. Um, and then, um, so make sure you're aware of that. Um, also, we completely reworked the documents on, um, on uh, same-sex marriage and, uh, and ministering to the LGBTQ community. And has now been combined into one document um, that is much more usable, not near as unwieldy as the previous two documents were, which would be helpful whenever you have a challenge to you from a supervisor or from a uh, commander or whatever in regards to that, okay? And it just clarifies it a lot better, okay, in regards to that. So just be aware of that. So, pardon me? New handbooks. Yeah, and there's a new, uh, there's, yeah, and there's gonna be a brand, there's a totally revised handbook, the Chaplain's Handbook. Now is gonna be separate. It's a Chaplain's Handbook and a Chaplain Working Care Committee Handbook. So there are two separate handbooks now. And that has been considerably updated, shortened, clearer, chock full of valuable, important information because we wrote it. Anyway, um, so no, it's, it's really, it's, it'd be helpful to you. So it has a lot of good stuff. Yeah, and endorser rules, yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, last thing, um, next year's General Assembly is gonna be at Ward. I knew you'd like to see that, Scott. We went to a German restaurant up there together. Yeah, we'll go again. Yeah, we'll go again. Um, and if you haven't been to the Ford Museum, plan for that in your tr time, if you can. It is an amazing place, including the outside uh, village they have. Uh, but it's gonna be a ward church up in, uh, up in Michigan, so just outside of Detroit. And uh, so I encourage you to start planning now. Always, GA is always the week after Father's Day. Okay, always the week after Father's Day. And then uh, um, closing prayer, oh, you know, <laughs> we never got to that prayer time and we've run out of time. Let me encourage you, we need to pray for each other, okay? And uh, I would like, maybe Blaze, since you brought it up, would you be able to do our closing prayer for us? And, um, and then uh, we'll have a, um, a, uh, a benediction to share together. Okay, there you go. Thank you, Blaze. Let's all stand together. Now I ask you to pray for the family of a seven-year-old, CC, who just came across that uh, in my area, our flotilla just found her body. She was riding with uh, her father in a boat on Father's Day and would hit an object and was thrown from the boat. And so you can imagine what the father feels like and I'll be doing a critical and stress like we briefing on Friday. Thank you. Um, Lord God, thank you for this day that you're the God of all comfort, that you're God of uh, nearness and presence, Lord. That you came into our lives to comfort us and to call us to yourself. And Lord, I pray for us as chaplains that we carry your presence of comfort and joy to others. Thank you for all of this. Uh, precious moments like uh, the one which uh, James shared of giving pizza to, to airmen and 
benediction let's just uh, you all know this from Jude uh, one let's just say it together now to him who is able to keep us from stumbling and to present us blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God our Father Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord be glory majesty dominion and authority before all time now and forever. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Uh, it has been great to be with you, and I uh, look forward to seeing you through GA.